Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com on today's Tour Catch-Up. Team Europe trounced Team World in the Labour Cup. Raducanu splits from her coach. And Annette Contivate takes home the honours in Ostrava. Kim, tennis is back. We are in full-on tour catch-up mode now. No more round-by-rounds after the US Open. We are back. We are revitalised. And tennis, tennis, as it always does, it just keeps on going. We've had the Labour Cup. Uh, we've had uh, Mets and Astana for the men, Ostrava for the women. And we're all obviously building up to the Indian Wells tournament, which was postponed from earlier in the year. So even though... We have had our last Grand Slam of the year. There is still plenty of tennis to talk about. I know. We've gone through that kind of post-US Open lull. We're kind of back on track. We've got lots <laughs> coming up and lots to discuss uh, from the past week or so on tour. And I guess one of the biggest events has been the Labour Cup, which it's fair to say hasn't been the most exciting of Labour Cups. Uh, it's been a very, very one-sided victory. Uh, also clashed with the, uh, the Ryder Cup, so sort of you know, almost a, a reverse result, I suppose, as to what happened in the golf. But um, yeah, Team Europe taking home yet another uh, Labour Cup victory. I, I don't think they've actually lost one, have they? They've won the first four editions four of in the a event. Row. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they've won this. I think the most comfortably of all, fourteen one uh, in total. They only lost one match, um, which was a doubles match. Uh, so John Isner and Denis Shapovalov can be, I guess, very proud that they took home like the only rubber for Team World. <laughs> Yeah, it was an absolute drubbing if you look at the the score line. I think what was most amazing about it was watching it on TV was the fact that the the crowds, um, you know, they, they didn't seem to be like the crowds had lost interest or weren't going to turn up. It felt like it was at capacity the, the days it was on. And that was, I guess, what was so amazing about it was the fact that despite, you know, the score lines and the lack of competitiveness, really, between Team Europe and Team World, the the fans were still turning out for it in their droves and they were so passionate and it was really I think Boston was a really rowdy a great environment actually for you know as a backdrop for the tennis but yeah it's it was a bit of a shame I think in terms of the 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 competition yes there were a few matches that were a bit close and I think you know one of the decisive factors in you know, in the in the results were Team Europe's kind of record um, in the, the championship tie breaks, which I only think they lost one um, across the event. So, yeah, it was um, it was it was a very good turnout. I mean, to be honest, were we expecting anything different, Kim? I mean, Team Europe have what all these players in the top ten. I don't think Team World had anyone in the top ten, and even with a home support, it was going to be a very very tall order. Oh, absolutely. If you look at the lineups and their rankings, it, it's a complete sort of 
you know, mismatch. it's a complete Im- imbalance, yeah, between the two sides. And that, that really showed. I mean, you know, some of the matches did go to like the last set, you know, champions tie break. Like obviously they weren't playing a full three set match. And perhaps you could argue that they should have done. But, but you know, I mean, as with most exhibition formats, they don't play a full third set. So, um, you know, that's sort of par for the course, really. But, um, you know, it did produce some entertaining tennis. Um, I'm sure the crowd still enjoyed it. They'd been waiting, I guess, two years for this event because it, you know, couldn't happen last year. And um, we got to see some players as well in, in Team Europe that perhaps don't normally get on so well. Um, we saw them managing to get on and bring home, you know, the Labour Cup for, for Team <laughs> Europe. We also saw Roger Federer in attendance as well, getting in on the act in, in some of the photos. Um, so I'm sure it was kind of nice for uh, Team Europe to have have him around as well. Um, you know, unfortunately, Rafa wasn't there. But but I mean, this is the most exciting bit for me from the weekend. And perhaps this says a little bit about what happened on court. But the fact that Rafa on Instagram yesterday was alluding to the fact that next year he could be playing perhaps doubles with Federer in the Labour Cup, which even more excitingly, Joel, is in London. I know. So imagine that we could be seeing Fedal in the doubles next year in London. Federer has already been quick to respond saying bringing back the old Fidal in London would be amazing. I don't know if that was him or whether that was his kind of his marketing team, maybe just getting that in to uh, to bump up initial sales for uh, Labour Cup in London next year. But yeah, it's going to be, you know, that is going to be a very exciting, particularly obviously for, for British fans. You know, we don't have the, the tour finals anymore, but the fact that we've got the Labour Cup, I think it softens the blow a bit. But I think just going back to that point around the that imbalance between between team Europe and team world. I think this is something that does, it does need to be looked at. It does need to be addressed. And team Europe have won the first four editions. Now it doesn't feel like it's going to change anytime soon. And if these results keep going the way they are, I mean, it's, you know, I, I think eventually fans would lose interest. I think at the moment, the format is still quite new and innovative and fun. And that's what I think is bringing in all these kind of casual fans. But, you know, if if kind of year on year, it's just kind of Team Europe just need to, to turn up and just need to turn up and, and do the business, then I don't know if that's going to affect kind of the the credibility of this because, you know, at the moment, it still feels a bit like, uh, you know, an exhibition. I know some of the um, the Americans, I know Riley Opelka said this, you know, this wouldn't have been an exhibition or this wasn't an exhibition, otherwise it wouldn't have been, you know, 14-1. But it certainly feels they're going to have to try and address that imbalance some sort of some sort of way. I know that feels quite hard to do, given the geographical restrictions. It was interesting to hear John McEnroe be kind of raise, is Russia in Europe? But I felt that was a bit more out of desperation as opposed to kind of a, a realistic kind of tinkering of the maybe classification of, of the, uh, the teams in the future. Yeah, he just wanted to poach, you know, Rublev and Medvedev, I suppose, <laughs> and recategorize them as Team World, perhaps. Mm. But uh, yeah, that goes into a whole other sort of geopolitical debate, doesn't it? I mean, another option would be perhaps to have more emphasis on on the doubles because you feel like in a doubles sort of match, it's a bit more open. Um, perhaps they could have, I don't know, paired up more and had more doubles rubbers as opposed to the singles. Um, another person on Twitter, um, or a few people, Jack Sock fans mainly, suggested that Jack Sock is the secret weapon and should have played because apparently in kind of the history of the Labour Cup, uh, you know, he has generated a lot of points for Team World. And, and when he, when he doesn't play, um, 
team world have you know lost 44 uh, points mm. and uh, only won a handful in matches that do not contain Jack Sock. So a lot of Jack Sock fans probably up in you know outrage that he wasn't included. <laughs> I mean, it's quite interesting because if you do think about it like that, you, you'd you'd say that the most influential players are the players who are good at singles but also good at doubles. And you know, you do look at that. You do look at the you know Team Europe members. You wouldn't necessarily say they're the best, best doubles players there. And that might be where the, you know, the, the opportunity is potentially to make it more competitive. Um, I know in the past, we, you know, we've had people drop out and it has been kind of closer, but it's always ended up ultimately in a, in a Team Europe victory. And I think if there's going to be a time where we're going to have to look at the, address the format and, and do something about it, it's probably going to be this result because, 14-1 is not a is not a good scoreline and I don't know if organizers will you know care about it or not um you know if if it's selling out if fans are loving it then is that their job done but I think if they want to not not think about this in terms of a, an exhibition and have kind of full credibility behind it I think they're going to I think they do I think in that in that line of argument I think they do need to look at how they can restore the balance because at the moment, if it's just majority singles and a little and a little bit of doubles, I mean, there's only three doubles matches in, in this tournament. Then it just feels like it's going to be Team Europe every time. And I think John McEnroe is getting a bit sick of being the uh, the captain and being uh, what one zero lost four at the moment. And I think he's he's this rivalry with uh, Bjorn Borg is a bit is a bit one sided in uh, in Labour Cup terms. Yeah, he's, it's like the, you know, that 1980 Wimbledon final. He's just, you know, <laughs> losing out every time. But, you know, McEnroe then, you know, managed to win. So who knows? It could be cyclical. I mean, it is it is one of those things, I think, where, you know, we've seen in, I think, you know, they were talking about it in, in kind of golf. Team USA won very convincingly against uh, Team Europe. And, you know, this was ushering in a new era uh, a new team even for for team USA and and it feels like the level of of dominance at the moment in tennis terms is is with Europe and USA might need to look at that and think well how do we how do we make this how do we make this better how does the rest of the world make this more even because i felt maybe it was just because it was in boston but it did sometimes feel a little bit like europe versus usa and it didn't maybe necessarily you know, and it, when it was just going to be, you know, one country versus you know, one continent, there was only really going to be one winner. Yeah, I mean, we had obviously Diego Schwartz from Argentina mm. and, and Nick Kyrgios, you know, also rocked up, uh, you know, Australian, obviously. But, you know, there's been r- rumours actually that he it maybe may be retiring. He's he's ending his season. He's going back home. And we don't know really when or if we'll see him back on the tour, perhaps again, uh, at least not for a long time. Um you know that that's just something that's kind of emerged uh, over the weekend the other kind of talking point i suppose was kind of mostly on on social media really around um surrounding the you know zverev allegations um one of the kind of major incidents from from that allegations you know from from his ex girlfriend did take place in the 2019 labor cup and there was sort of you know promotional material coming out on twitter from the Labour Cup, um, sort of referencing that particular event. And, you know, obviously that was a bit insensitive. A lot of people, um, you know, were rightly critical of that. And uh, I think there were, you know, reports that people were getting blocked by the Labour Cup account and, um, you know, not able to have their kind of say. And it was, you know, 
the the, the controversy the, the sort of debate continues um and you know it, it hasn't really brought um you know good experience to a lot of fans i think a lot of fans have obviously switched off because of the inclusion of Sverev and the fact that you know um he was involved in in all of the the weekend's proceedings and just to add to that, Mary Carrillo, who was on the, I think, on the advisory board for the Labour Cup, she actually resigned uh, over the handling of the kind of Zverev situation, uh, which, yeah, is has not been, it's not been a good look. We know it's there. And I think, you know, for me, what was kind of interesting was that this, for me, was the first body or organisation that we had seen, I think, above the surface, take an active, uh, you know, an active role you know, make a stand, you know, you know, people obviously have not agreed with it. The fact that they were going out and allegedly kind of blocking people on, on Twitter, but it's interesting that they, you know, or, or whoever it was made a stand, whoever's running that, I guess that social media account made a stand and were like, okay, we're not going to listen to these people. We're going to block them. And I don't think we've not, we've seen up to this point, really an organization or a, a body come out and make a decision like that. I don't think it, you know, obviously I don't, as a fan, don't agree with it. And I don't think it's the right one, but you know, they made a, they made a movement. And I think that is more than what we've seen, you know, for example, in the last, last 18 months or however long it's been since these allegations have surfaced from you know, other bodies like the, the ATP, which I understand that, you know, these things take time. Feels like things are going on maybe underneath the surface in, uh, you know, in the, in, in within the the organization i think that might come out sooner rather than later hopefully by the you know the end of end of this year but um yeah again it was uh it was certainly something that i think brought a bit of negative attention before i think we got um got started with the the action on court yeah and we'll have to see you know if there is any further kind of development in in the in the case and, and the allegations because yeah like you said maybe something going on behind the scenes but it, the matter continues you know it's it's not going to to go away um as much as I'm sure Zverev would, would like it to um it kind of continues to provide that sort of awkwardness I think for for every marketing director at a tournament where he's uh playing they're sort of like oh how do we how do we best uh manage this one it was interesting to see because the I think they the the Lever Cup on on social media they did an about turn and uh, decided not to promote him in, div- in individual shots on their social media. And I think, again, it is a question I think marketing teams are trying to figure out is how how much do we use uh, Alexander Zverev? Because, again, it's, it's still a, obviously a very touchy subject for a lot of people and, un- and understandably so. And that's going to be, have implications on how he is portrayed because we can't deny that he is one of the, you know, the leading lights in the sport and interestingly in the Labour Cup I think he's won the the deciding point um the last three editions now so he seems to be right at home in, in the Labour Cup but yeah it's just not been uh it's it's a, it's a situation that needs to be handled delicate, delicately because as we've seen kind of with fans it's a it can be a very um it's a very controversial subject yeah, and, and rightly so, because, you know, at the heart of it is someone who's obviously had a very traumatic experience um, and probably finds it quite painful to um, have these memories, uh, 
you know brought up as well especially when at this event you know there was a, quite a significant moment um in in all of that so um we will see what what happens in the next kind of uh few weeks or so let's look now joel away from kind of global exhibition tennis uh <laughs> let's look at what actually happened on the atp tour because we had mets uh out in france uh andy murray was involved in that one uh andy murray lost to the uh, eventual champion Hubert Herkaj, who's um, had a pretty good season, hasn't he? This is his third title of the year. He beats PCB uh, in straight sets to win um, uh, win the title on Sunday. Didn't drop a set uh, in en route, you know, to his tournament win. Um, a very sort of comprehensive win. Uh, top seed, you know, he's really kind of at home on these sort of indoor hard courts, uh, you know, that play very fast and. I guess you could say the week went quite uh, according to the form book, really. Yeah, he was very impressive, very imperious, actually, I think, across the, the whole tournament. And he's making a move to be in the, uh, you know, the tour finals at the end of the season. I think that pushes him up to eighth in the in the race. So, um, you know, he's certainly one of the players who has broken through the season. He's just kind of continuing that on. And surprise, surprise, he is absolutely at home on a fast pacey indoor hardcore um you know he i think in the final yeah he is a better server there's no doubt about that than than Karenio Buster and i think that was one of the big reasons why he was able to kind of get it done and, and get it done quite easily where you know with Karenio Buster you just kind of feel or maybe he was sort of hoping to to get to make it into a bit of a you know a grinder in terms of a you know more of a war of attrition sort of match but i just felt that these courts weren't going to be suited to that kind of situation and even though I think I think PCB beat Herkaj in their only previous matchup in in Cincinnati I just felt like this week that Herkaj was going to get it right and you know he 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 came through very well and he came through very well against Andy Murray and in Gojevic as well in the semi-finals it's actually quite nice to see him uh, kind of continue his uh, US Open form but um yeah it was uh it was a very very good week for him and I think yeah he will be you know his his ambition i think through to the end of the season will be to be you know in that top 8 for the the tour finals because at the moment i certainly think he's playing tennis to to be there in uh, to be there in turin in uh, in november yeah and you know quite a few other indoor hardcore events i suppose with mm. the exception of, of indian wells but yeah he's certainly at home on a hard court, serving well, dictating from the baseline. And, um, you know, PCB, it's a, a very valiant effort to get to the final. Beat Gail Monfils, who's also um, having a, a good resurgence of form, actually, Gail Monfils. You know, he um, had a bad sort of start to the season, really, but he's been making a few kind of semis of late. So um, it's really nice to see him kind of back up there a bit as well. Um, and then, I mean, what did you... Let's touch upon Andy Murray, of course, because he had he had a few wins. He had a win over Ugo Umber, you know, local player uh, in three sets and then came through against Pospisil in straight sets. So I thought that was pretty reasonable, you know, for Andy on a wild card where he's getting shoved into sort of quite dodgy draws at times. Um, so I think, you know, he he had, a again, a valiant effort against uh, Herkaj in the... Uh, in the quarter and you know it was a pretty decent showing I suppose. I think it was good for him to get through to the uh to the quarterfinals. I was a very good win I think against the, the sixth seed at home in Umber over three sets. I, I watched the first set and I actually wanted to switch it off because I thought oh he's going to go out in in first round in straight sets again but it was really impressive I think the way he won from a set down against the sixth seed because I don't think he's he hadn't done that in uh, in quite a while, actually. So for him to do that and then follow that up with the win against Pospisil, 
yeah, it was good. I think <laughs> at the moment, I feel like Hercash is a little bit of his his tormentor because um, I think he he beat him also quite recently and. He's still, you know, I guess it was, again, Herkash didn't drop a set this week. He probably, he did as, he did as good as anyone else, um, in the draw. I am sort of, I, you know, as a wild card, you are kind of sort of, you know, at the mercy, I think, of, of these draws. And he is getting a few kind of rough draws of late. We'll come on to it a bit later. He's got Nishikuri in, uh, in round and run, who's also on a wild card, um, in San Diego. But, um, yeah, if you can just get a little bit more of luck of the draw. You know, down at these two fifties, uh, I think you know he's playing uh, the European Open again in Belgium, where he has obviously fond memories of, um, and he's got a few more tournaments. Obviously, San Diego. Expect to see him in Indian Wells as well. So it's certainly, I think, he's continuing showing promising signs. Um, you know, from you know that you know, obviously that five set um, epic loss against um, you know Sissipas. Uh, at the US Open but um yeah it's just it's just got to keep going and I think with these wins you know he's getting ranking points at the very least which will put his ranking up so that he's not taking up these wild cards um so I think we're maybe there or there about with with regards to that but um yeah it was uh it was a good performance but it, it feels like at the moment he's just taking every tournament possible and you know whether that's in Europe I'm going to fly back to the United States and then probably back to Europe again um, yeah, it feels like at the moment he's he's trying to make up for for lost time from you know that that coronavirus impact on his season. Um, you know, early on, earlier on in the year. Yeah, it's a bit back and forth, but it's what he needs to do to get that ranking up. And uh, I mean, he he could have gone to Kazakhstan, Joel, but he didn't because uh, <laughs> we also had the Astana Open um, out in Kazakhstan, which um, was sort of headlined by Aslan Karatsev as the top seed and the home favourite, Alexander Bublik. But it was actually uh, Kwon Soon Woo who came through, a uh, young South Korean player who won his first ever ATP title um, against uh, an, another sort of newcomer at an ATP final level, James Duckworth of Australia, 7-6, um, 6-3. So they were both gunning to um, to take home their first title. Um, but yes, it was straight sets for the South Korean he had a really good week. He beat uh, Bublik in the semi-final, um, and also, you know, Laszlo Jair, uh, Lajovic, some other seeded players. Uh, so, yeah, clearly a fan of beating Serbians as well. But um, yeah, a great, great for great for Kwon Soon Woo. Um, he's actually also only the second South Korean to win a tour um, in the Open era, a tour title. Um, we had one back in two thousand and three, um, Hung Taik Lee, um, which made me realise that Hyung Chung hasn't hasn't won a title mm. uh, which is a, a real shame considering his talent i know because he he burst onto the scene and sort of sort of disappeared since that uh you know that memorable run to the quarters at the australian open but uh yeah i mean it was a very i think impressive victory to be honest when i looked at this draw i was like this has got first time atp title winner all over it um and it was very impressive i think from duckworth and Kwon Son Wu to get to the the final and beat Ivashka and, and Bublik in the semis because I think those those two have both been in quite decent form this season and to you know both have both causing upsets um, was very very good. Uh, I mean Duckworth also came through John Milman um, and Kranjevic, um in the second round as well, so he had a, again some very decent victories and I think both of them will will have looked at that final to be like this is you know this is a big opportunity for me to to win my first title but um you know for the South Korean you know he's 
he's a very interesting prospect because you know he's i think what 23 years old you know not really many people kind of talking about him um yes yeah it was an atp 250 he'll be very very impressive with that it'll just be a case of how you know how how high how high can he reach uh and i don't think we're sort of talking about him you know being a maybe a top 10 or top maybe top 20 potentially but certainly he could i think push himself up there and maybe get towards uh you know having a seeding you know at a grand slam and you know this is i think the the start of his journey for that and will give him great confidence i think going forward for the the rest of the season because i think he was also quite handy as he had some pretty decent results i think on the uh you know the north american kind of hard court swing before the us open so um yeah it was pretty pretty decent results from him and apparently joel he likes to sing uh yes. which is always good to know <laughs> well apparently i was i was reading that you know he apparently he's, he's all when he steps onto the court you know his kind of approach is very much around sort of trying to take care of business and he's all quite quite serious when he's on court but actually off the court he's a bit of a laugh and uh he really he is kind of hidden well special talent anyway is is him is his uh singing capabilities so he's uh yeah he's i think he's got a little bit of a you know two personalities going on he's quick bit kind of i think casual and quite um quite uh you know funny and loud sort of guy off court but yeah when he cuts onto court he's yeah he's uh he's very much you know learning and, and wants to be you know obviously taken seriously and um he's doing the best he can to uh you know win 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 these titles and win win in these events where you know it genuinely does feel up for grabs you know for anyone to make a name for themselves from the you know from a draw of 32 or whatever so um yeah he'll be obviously really happy with that yeah, because he was um, he was down uh, three set points in that first set, so mm. came through, won that tie break, and uh, managed to close out in straight sets. So yeah, great victory, uh, great maiden tour title for Kwon Soon Woo. And uh, I mean, let's move over, Joel, before we go to the break uh, to round up the WTA events from the last week or so as well. Uh, so we had a 500 event out in Ostrava in the Czech Republic, and you know what, with all the Czech players on tour, um, we thought that maybe one of them would have come home with the title but that was not to be because Annette Contivate um, who is continuing her very good run of form lately um, she won the title straight sets over Maria, Maria Sakkari in the final 6-2-7-5 straight sets all week straight sets all week yeah she's done a Hubert Hercage and just kind of actually kind of blitzed her opponents in a way mm. she's beaten Kvitova Benchich uh, Paula Bedosa Bedosa they are not easy players at all and it's the biggest win of her career it's her it's her third singles title as well overall and um she's now won i think 12 of her last 13 matches because she also won a title out in cleveland last month so you know she's i think she's had a recent change in her coaching personnel mm. Uh, Dmitry Tersnov has has joined the team, so I I don't know if that is the decisive factor for this sudden kind of change in form. It was interesting because you know she had that partnership with Nigel Sears, um, and I think that, you know that was a, a fruitful partnership. I think it lasted three years, and there was a kind of an animal split. I think earlier on in the season, and you know she's obviously brought Dmitry Tersnov, who was Arena Sabalenka's coach, uh, on board and. You know, it's interesting to hear in um, kind of interviews after winning the title about her kind of relationship with Tursunov and how you know he's come on board and really just got her head sorted uh, was her, was the kind of the the impression I got. You know, she's I think she believes that you know technically speaking, she plays a very good, very powerful, very aggressive sort of ball game that can really match anyone 
you know on their day but for her it's been all about having you know the plan and that mental you know that mental aspect of a game that I think was you know was a bit lacking and you know there was a point I think earlier in the season where you know she was just kind of eating kind of loss after loss and she's just a bit you know she just didn't really know where she was or, or kind of what she was doing and she needed to refocus and I think you know bringing Tursunov on board particularly you know what he has done and he achieved with with Sabalenka was a really good um, acquisition and I think has yeah I think has just literally got her head straight and she's playing some really really uh, good tennis some really special tennis I think you know coming through unseeded um, in that really loaded bottom half of the draw without dropping a set was very very impressive and then you know to come up against Sakari in the final who had beaten the top seed Sviontek in the, the semi-finals to win 6-2-7-5 it was again it was another really good really strong performance and you know Kontovic is one of those players you know, she she is unseeded but at the same time we saw I sort of see her as a player who can who whose ranking it, it can go higher and, and perhaps it should go higher and, and maybe with Tursunov bringing her maybe this this mental edge i fully expect her to be a renewed renewed force and perhaps a little bit of a resurgence up the rankings yeah i could totally see her knocking on the door of the top 10 if she could really sort of channel Mm. this run of form that she's got at the moment and this kind of newfound positivity um you know she's 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 got very good like technical structure to her game um i think it's always just been about putting it together at the right time and maybe you know reining it in a little bit and not going for too much you know um as is often it's often the way it's it's knowing when to to go for things and um hopefully Tersonov has yeah made that kind of focus uh become more apparent and I certainly can see her yeah going up to sort of maybe where Sakari is you know 15 sort of 14 in the world um because yeah Contivate on her day is t- certainly not someone you want to see in the draw and um you know she did get to the Eastbourne final I think earlier in the season so you know clearly she's um she's been knocking on the door she's got two titles um under her belt this season so we'll see how she moves on you know for the rest of the year after this and Kim just on Zachary I just feel like she's carving out a bit of a reputation of going into tournaments getting a big scalp under her belt like uh you know Sviontek in the semi-finals and then not following through with it and not really not able to kind of go on and, and win the tournament. I feel like she's like very much still, uh, she can pull it out the bag on, on any given day, but consistency and, and actually the follow-up match for her, I feel like is, is sort of letting her down at the moment. I feel like we've been in this situation a few times where she's had a really big win, upset win, and has not been able to follow through with it. I, I mean, I still have a bit of a question on whether she, I think she plays better as the underdog. And when she goes into matches as the the favourite, I still think there's a little bit of a question mark there because I don't know if she underestimated, you know, Contivit and the fact that, you know, she was obviously unseeded. I, I would have assumed not because, you know, given the, her, you know, her opponents through the week and, and the way she was winning, you wouldn't have thought that. But I do think maybe where Sakari, maybe there's a, an improvement on a game is that, you know, she needs to, she needs to be able to kind of do it through the whole week. And, you know, if she can pull up these, amazing you know really good victories that show you know she's playing some really good tennis she needs to back them up and I don't feel like she's doing she's not doing that that follow-up job um, as well as potentially she could at the moment yeah I do feel it's a sort of 
missed opportunities uh, she could mm. again she maybe just needs to flick that switch um to go that extra notch because she's had some quite yeah heartbreaking moments of late especially at the french open um but we'll let, let's look at the other two tournaments that we've had um of late we had some 250 events uh one out in luxembourg where we saw clara torson uh winning her second wta title uh she upset defending champion yelena ostapenko in a three-set match this was a quite a, a lengthy affair um as you can imagine with a sort of ostapenko match it was quite fiery at times as well um but yeah clara torson the young dane um Came through in the end. Uh, also had some really good uh, wins over Marketa von Drusova, uh in the semi-finals, and also Ale- Alexandra as well. So um, she's really loving again, like Hubert Herkaz, She's she's loving these sort of uh, really fast courts. Um, she won their title back in March, I think, out in Lyon. Um, so she's already got two titles now under her belt, and she's she's only eighteen. So um, really, obviously, a very exciting prospect again for for the future. Kim, I swear at the moment, a lot of British fans are just referring to Clara Torsen as the last player to have beaten Emma Raducanu or, on a tennis court, which she did in, uh, what well, I think in, in Chicago, uh, back in, back in August at that one, that, that WTA one, two, five event. But, um, yeah, another very, very good prospect for women's tennis. I, I'm, I'm secretly hoping that there's going to be, a I could easily see kind of a Torsen Raducanu rivalry i think emerge at some point i don't think it's necessarily caught fire yet but i certainly think those are two players that are on the same kind of career path and and trajectory maybe radicani is a little bit ahead at the moment obviously given her her win at the, the us open but i certainly think that torson is 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 coming along very very nicely and this season for her has been very very impressive you know given her you know given her age and the the maturity I think that she's showing, um, you know, on a tennis court and the fact that she was able to beat, you know, Yelena Ostapenko, grand, you know, a grand slam champion, the defending champion as well in, in Luxembourg. Uh, yeah, very, very impressive. Yeah. First time that Ostapenko had actually been beaten uh, at this event because she, um, only, well, she played it in 2019, won it. So, um, she was trying to become, uh, only, I think the fourth player to defend that title. But, um, again, I think the main difference was really just the number of unforced errors from the Ostapenko racket. You know, she was far less consistent than Torsen, which I don't think would be surprising to most people that Ostapenko <laughs> might have not quite hit the lines uh, a few times. But, uh, um, yes, we'll, we'll see how Torsen gets on. We also had Portoroz, uh, out in Slovenia. Uh, as well, which we had a maiden tour title winner for Jasmine Paolini of Italy. Um, she's currently 87 in the world, but she came through against Alison Risk in the final, 7-6-6-2. Uh, she was really behind in that first set, double breakdown, um, but managed to grit out, um, yeah, grit out that first set and then sort of was quite dominant in, in the second. So a bit Alison Risk will be kicking herself a bit after letting that kind of double break lead go. But um, yeah, nice for Paolini. Another win for an Italian uh, <laughs> player over the summer. They've had quite a successful season, haven't they? Another bullet point to add, I think, to the, the list. I think we could we could probably do a whole quiz section at the end of the season on Italy's achievements in uh, in tennis in in twenty twenty one. Given it's just been well in sport in general, really. Given yeah, given what they've achieved, but yeah, it was a very another very decent win, I think, for for Paolini, who career high ranking at the moment. She's playing with full of confidence, and yeah, Alison Risk is a very you know, experienced and wily kind of competitor. So um, you know, she was. Paulini did very, very well to 
to do that in in two sets particularly as you said coming back from a, a double breakdown in that first set yeah and risk i think when she has a habit of getting to finals and and they're not winning them uh not quite as bad as faa or uh julian benito because she has won two titles but she's lost um eight and counting so i think you know may- maybe when push comes to shove she um again maybe a bit like um a bit like a uh, Zachary. She does prefer being an underdog and obviously we know she prefers the grass courts as well. So a bit out of her comfort zone, perhaps being a, you know, a higher ranked player in the final and sort of expected to win. But um, yeah, really pleased for Jasmine Paolini. Uh, we'll see if she can get up her ranking even higher. Um, but let's take a quick break now. Uh, we'll be back in the second half where we'll be talking about Simona Halep splitting with Darren Cahill, Emma Raducanu split with her coach, Andrew Richardson, and also we'll be looking ahead to all the action in Chicago and San Diego. So do not go anywhere. This is The Passing Shots with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to the second half of the show. And Joel, I do believe we've got the return of one of our favourite <laughs> games. You have a nice par for the court up your sleeve for me. I know, I do. I've got a par for the court for you. I'm very excited about this one. I had one, I sort of had one in my head all week. And then, like, this afternoon, I actually just completely changed and... Uh, yeah, I've got a different one for you. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you now, listeners. This is part of the court. So if you haven't played with us before, uh, I'm gonna give a topic to Kim, and I'm gonna give her a par score. And the aim for Kim is to reach the par score without giving me a wrong answer. So Kim, I know it's been a while, but uh, are you are you ready? Are you nervous? Are you confident? I'm just wondering what I did to like annoy you at some point during this day for you to have changed <laughs> your mind and given me the hard one. Um, but yeah, go for it. I'm I'm ready. I will always be ready for a, for a quiz element. I I'm going to be nice to you as well because I'm going to give you the rankings as well. But okay, this is this is your topic. So we've just had the Labour Cup, but I want to go back to the first edition of the Labour Cup in 2017 and I want you to name me as many players as possible who played for Team Europe or Team World. So in total there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. There are 14 players who played Two did not, two dropped out, Milos Raonic and one Martin Del Potro. So you can cross those names off. But I'm looking for 14 players um, who uh, played in that first edition of the Labour Cup. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to set the pass score at 50%. So I'm going to say seven, I want seven names. And just to give you a little bit more help, I'm going to give you the rankings uh, of, of the players that I'm looking for. Oh, right. Okay. I might have to get a bit of pen and paper then to <laughs> note those down. Um, okay. Yeah. Give me the rankings then. That, that okay. may help. <laughs> so, so, 2007. Team, so for Team Europe, the rankings are one, two, four, five, seven, nineteen, forty. 19, 40. Oh, 40. Okay. <laughs> uh, and Team World. And for Team World, I've got 16. 17, 20, 21, 51, 
72 and 215. Blimey. Gosh, you can really tell that it's always been quite imbalanced, hasn't it, if you look at the <laughs> rankings. Um, okay, right. I think I can beat the par score. I'm going to be ambitious. Okay. I think okay. I can get more than 50%, so I'll get more than seven. Who are you starting with? <laughs> I'm going to start with um, Novak Djokovic, who I assume was number one. Or it could have been Rafa. He was number one then. I don't know. <laughs> Kim, that is incorrect. Oh, no. no Novak Djokovic <laughs> was there. No, Novak Djokovic was there, oh, Kim. He wasn't at the Labour Cup. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Not in the first edition. He was not there. What? Oh, was he not world number one in 2017? No. Or was that no. Rafa? <laughs> Kim. Or was that Andy Murray? No. All in at the first hurdle. Oh. <laughs> Does that mean I forfeit the whole round? Well, I, actually, I don't want to. Right. I'm going to give you one life, actually. I'm going to be nice to you. <laughs> no, it's okay. Novak Djokovic is wrong. Okay. You don't need to change the rules. I'll just like pretend that never happened. Okay. okay. So it's not okay. Novak Djokovic. It is Rafael Nadal. Yes. It is Roger Federer. Yes. I'll say Stan. I'll say Stan Wawrinka. Nope. Oh. In- incorrect. <laughs> wow, you were really confident, weren't you? <laughs> two wrong. Two wrong. Well, I just thought already. he might have been four or five in the world. Then, um, okay, Andy Murray. Then, nope. Incorrect. Oh. As well. <laughs> Who on earth are these players? Thomas Burditch. Yes, Thomas Burditch was there, number nineteen of uh, Team Europe. Well, the big three and four and five was sort of right at the top for years. So 2017, who would already have been like world number four? Dominic Team. Yes, Dominic Team oh, was okay. there, ranked number seven. Grigor Dimitrov. That's a very good guess, but also completely wrong. <sighs> okay, I'm definitely not making par score, am I? Um, I'm going to go for a bit of world action then. Maybe that will help. Um, mm-hmm. John Isner. Yes, John is there, number 17. Nick Kyrgios? Yes, very good. Ranked number 20, Nick Kyrgios was there. I think I'm just going to have to say Diego Schwartzman again as well. No, no Sh- oh. no Schwartzman. So no no Diego Schwartzman. Okay. Um, I mean, Riley Apelka probably not in the first one. No. Um, Felix Auger-Aliassime is too young, I think. Um I, do, I, I can't think. I'm, you give I hope up. Do you give up? doing better than I am. Yeah, I think I do. We'll be here all night otherwise, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so who I was looking for was for Team Europe, you could have had, obviously, Nadal, Federer, Alexander Zverev was ranked four, Marin Cilic was oh, ranked five, okay. um, and then Dominic Team, Tomas Burdich, and ranked 40... Fernando Vadasco. Yes, Fernando. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Um, I did not know he was involved. <laughs> and then for Team World, um, it was Sam Query uh, was number 16, John Isner 17, Nick Kyrgios ranked 20, Jack Sock, who we mentioned before. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> Was twenty one blank, <laughs> and then Denis Shapovalov uh, was in it at, at fifty one. Francis Tiafo was also in it at seventy two. But the player, I'm sure everyone is sort of thinking, who was playing Labour Cup uh, ranked two hundred and fifteen in the world? It was Tanasi Kokinakis. 
Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I would never have got that, uh, for sure. <laughs> mm. I should yeah, have got more the Americans. Quite, quite a tough one because, yeah, no no Djokovic, no Andy Murray. I feel like that might have tripped, might tripped a few of our listeners up. Mm. I fell at the first hurdle and I'm sure I probably wasn't the only one. So, But no, <laughs> that was the toughest path of the court yet. So well done, Joel. I think you definitely beat me on that one. Um, let's move now on to the mailbag segment, which is also Laver Cup themed. We're having a bit of a Laver Cup episode. Um, this is from Sally Ann on email. Uh, so thanks, Sally Ann, for contacting us. Uh, she has asked... Who do you think would win a Labour Cup if it was a female event? So I assume, you know, if we had Team Europe for the women, Team World for the women, who would come out on top? Would it be different to the men's one where Team Europe have pretty much dominated all of the editions? What do you think, Joel? That is a tough one. Because you've got, because I was trying to think, because Team World would have, you know, Barty, um, Osaka, um, you know, I you still i think Layla Fernandez. Back... <laughs> well yeah exactly um i'd still think you'd have to go europe i mean you still got to go the strength in i think there's strength in depth there you've got you know sabalenka sviontek halep pliskova krachikova svitolina i think i still think you would be hard pushed for a team rest of the world victory is what i'm getting at beyond like beyond Osaka and Barty, I mean, Kenin? Mm, yeah, it depends when, you know, what year we were talking about. If we're talking now, I definitely think, yeah, Europe would have their number uh, just because Osaka is playing at the moment. Brady. Yeah. Well, there's quite a lot, really. <laughs> I mean, he's like full strength teams, though. And like, you know, if if one or two dropped out, you'd still think, you know, that would favour, um, it would favour Europe. But um, yeah, I still, yeah, Europe I, yeah for me, I think depth. Europe. Yeah, I don't Europe think it would be fourteen-one though. I don't think it would be fourteen-one. No, I think it would be like eight, uh, six or something. And I think we can see that from the Fed Cup winners. You know, over the last however many years, it's pretty much always been a European team. So um, definitely think, yeah, you've got the, that depth there. Should there be, you know, the Asakas of the world not able to to turn up if if there was a female rendition? I would love to see a female version of the Labour Cup. I definitely think that would be a really fun event to go to. Um, so perhaps someone will make that happen at some point. Um, Serena Williams, Venus Williams. Let's get some doubles, uh, Williams sisters doubles in the in the Labour Cup. We're going to have Fedal. I want to see some some Williams sisters action. Or we've got Coco Golf and Katie McNally. If yeah. if not, you know they're yeah. pretty awesome doubles pairing. Um, so yeah, the list goes on actually. But yeah, great question, Sally Ann. Thanks for contacting us and. Um, if anyone's got any other queries or questions uh, for our mailbag, do keep them coming uh, week after week because we do enjoy answering the questions. Um, so let's just have a quick roundup of some of the other bits of news from the tour over the last week or so. Many of our listeners may have heard that Emma Raducanu has actually split from her coach who she was working with at the time of, of winning the US Open, um, which might sound quite a strange thing to do uh, after you've just kind of had this dream whirlwind you know run to you know the the grand slam at age 18 you know to, to suddenly part ways with someone who I assume was was quite fundamental in in helping her get over that line yeah it was I think for a lot of listeners um you know probably would have felt really abrupt I think the timing is the thing that is probably the most you know eyebrow raising uh, you know we see on the WTA tour that the you know, the, the coaching 
you know coach situation with players is a bit of a circus um it's it feels like it normally happens in the the off season and i wondered whether this is a decision that would have been you know delayed to that off season but it genuinely feels like it, it, uh, since since winning the you know the us open we've now had that dream phase of oh my god i can't believe this has happened and feels like this was the first kind of moment where it was like okay Radhi Kanu and her team, it's like, let's get down to business here. And this was obviously, I think, at the top of you know, top of the agenda. And I think, although it obviously probably wasn't a very nice conversation to have, you know, in, in Emma's kind of words, you know, this was talking about the fact that she needed someone who's had that professional tour experience and has been through it and seen players in my situation for many years going through the same because it's going to take a lot. So it was i got the impression that this was very much about yeah the experience and the like you know the lack of it that you know andrew richardson has i guess on the the wta tours now you know i'm i'm not saying like that's his that's his own fault you know i think with a lot of this sort of stuff when you kind of are you know fostering uh you know junior talent it's very much like you bring them up to a certain level and or a certain ranking and then you pass them on to someone else who's maybe more is more experienced at the, you know, at a higher level. And I think this is the, this is the moment that we have arrived at. And although it kind of feels a bit harsh, I think for, you know, for her coach, we've got to look at it like, you know, this was a, I think a short-term appointment. This was not like a, you know, her coach for the last, you know, since childhood. And it's a very emotional story. I think it's very much a a pragmatic decision that, um, you know, has felt like it is the, you know, for some people is the right one. I think personally it is, you know, it, it was inevitably going to happen. For me, the, the timing for me was the thing that I think caught me and I think caught a lot of, caught a lot of British tennis fans off guard. Yeah. And I mean, she also was working with Nigel Sears earlier in the season and sort of parted ways with him. So, and then brought Andrew Richardson on, I think for, you know, very short term. So I think she, it's been obviously, in the back of her mind for a while as she's sort of transitioning onto the tour that she needs someone very experienced. And the good thing about having won the US Open is that she's obviously got the money like to bring someone in like a top class coach now and that shouldn't hopefully be a, a barrier and um we you know we have had uh, a, a top class coach suddenly become available in in Darren Cahill because you know other big news from this week is that um he has split with with Simona Halep. You know they've been working together for about six years, and they've um, they've parted ways. Um, so maybe Darren Cahill could be an option. Although I think he doesn't really want to travel that much. So I I, I feel like he would. You know he wants to pick and choose his his moments rather than um, you know be kind of full time with a a really up and coming player. But um, you know it'll be interesting to see who Raducanu goes with, and I hope that it, it doesn't. You know, I hope I hope that it is the right move, and um, I'm, I'm sure Andrew Richardson will will go on and, and eventually perhaps develop <laughs> develop his uh, his abilities at, at the top of of the game. You know, because obviously everyone's on their own kind of journeys, whether you're a player or a coach as well. So, um, you know, it's it's hopefully hopefully they've parted ways, you know, in good terms. And I know Joel that, however, you were quite happy for. Um, or you suggested rather that a certain Tim Henman could could mm. get involved. <laughs> we saw how pivotal he he was, you know, watching from the sidelines when she she won in New York. 
Yeah, I, w- I mean, I would love to see that. I don't, I don't know how uh, likely that situation <laughs> is going to be. I feel like Tim Hemmer has lots of other kind of priorities. And I think Andrew Richardson, to be fair to him, I think he has other priorities as well um from from kind of reading um you know the 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 situation it sounds like he um is is he's got a top prospect in his uh son who he's uh who he he is coaching and perhaps wants to you know focus on you know efforts there so i think we've got to think about it from his perspective as as well as Raddy carney's perspective because i think a lot of the you know a lot of the focus at the moment has obviously been on on the, the player perspective um but certainly, I think, yeah, she'll have a long line of potential suitors, I think, for, for her. And I think it will be about finding the right, the right coach to fit, you know, the, you know, to fit her game. You know, other, other names being thrown about include Hogstedt, who, uh, again, is a very accomplished coach. And I think it will do well, I think, to kind of nurture that talent. I don't, I don't expect this decision to be made like right now, which for me is why I'm a bit, so I was sort of curious about this timing. I sort of still expect, you know, this this announcement of who the next coach is going to be will be in the off season. Once, as I said, the uh, the coaching circus uh, of WTA players is in kind of full flow, and we we sort of know kind of what's on the you know what's available and kind of what's on the table. And actually, for me, this is why I thought this was a bit of a, a surprising decision because if if something's not going to be made until the off season, when why why do you need to announce it right now? But Again, I do understand from the perspective of, you know, let's not let's not waste time here. This is a very kind of precious moment. We're in a we're in a very delicate phase. Let's get let's get back down to business. And uh, you know, from from what from what I understand, you know, in terms of kind of the next, you know, what's the next focus? I think it's safe to say Radhikani will be at Indian Wells. Um, I think she's got a few other WTA tournaments as well, kind of lined up. So, you know, it will it would be interesting to see how, how she bounces back. And I think, you know, I, th- I think the, 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 the precarious situation is that if she loses or, or when she loses, it's, you know, and, and that happens maybe twice in a row, for example, there's going to be conversations or mutterings from people to be like, well, why did she get rid of her coach? But again, because it was a short term, it was a short term, you know, it was a short term agreement and, and partnership. I don't think we can look too much into it. If it was maybe a bit longer and it was something that had been kind of been sort of been nurtured from childhood. Yeah, it would probably felt a little bit more brutal. But I think the, the way, you know, the way it's kind of developed, I think you know, it, it's one of those things in tennis where it, it is kind of dog eat dog. And if, if Radicanu has serious ambitions of you know, getting to world number one, winning multiple Grand Slam trophies, etc., she's going to need a top class coach with top class experience. And for her, Andrew Richardson just wouldn't wouldn't have been able to provide that right, you know, right here, right now. Absolutely. And I'm sure, you know, players and coaches know know what's best for them, don't they? So um, as I'm sure, you know, Simona Halep and Darren Cahill have uh, ended their working relationship um with uh, good memories from both sides. Simona Halep got married, actually, um, which is very mm. exciting recently. So back in Romania, um, really nice seeing her photos on Instagram. Yeah, very um, bitter, maybe very bittersweet. Husband... Very bittersweet there, wasn't it? Like, oh, I'm getting yeah. married. Oh, I'm splitting with my coach. I mean, it felt like, <laughs> yeah, it was a big, big, obviously two big, I think, life, you know, big life moments for her because I, I genuinely felt that, you know, Darren Cahill, Simona Halep, you know, Darren Cahill was part of Simona Halep's family. That's how close they were. And that's how, you know, that's how far I think they had, they had come as a, a partnership. They brought the best out of each other. You know, I always remember that, um, 
that uh what was that that timeout or that you know that moment I think in Miami where he came onto court and gave a really powerful motivational speech to, to Hallett that um I'll always remember and is for me a sign of of why Darren Cahill is such a top top coach but um yeah I think um you know Hallett I think will do well I think in terms of getting a new voice on board getting renewed focus yes she's had a bit of an injury hit seasons not really been able to hit top gear and this to be honest probably this probably was the right time for her you know getting getting married new perspectives all of that sort of stuff for me the timing the timing felt right here yeah absolutely uh, we wish them both well and um, let's just bring today to a close Joel um, let's look at what's happening this week on tour and what we'll be catching up on on our next um, podcast because we've got the Astana open for the women this time round uh, Yulia Putinsva is the top seed uh, at home in Kazakhstan Alison Van Utvank is the second seed there um, I mean this is a 250 event probably could go anywhere really um, you've got the likes of Kristina Mladenovic uh, Vavara Gracheva I mean Bonju. If you if you're putting money on this one, I wouldn't be able to tell you where to put it because yeah, it's it's very open field. I think Kaya Yuvan perhaps um is so we will see, as as we like to say on this podcast. <laughs> I think Putitsva could could win it. Um I think I'd I'd like to see a home a home winner. Uh Kim, I don't know if you noticed today they did their I, I think they always do this in Astana. They, the dog homeless, homeless, uh, charity, um, they brought all the animals on to, oh, it wasn't just dogs, was it? It was like an animal homeless charity that was in partnership with the Astana Open and all the, the top players were sort of like getting their photos taken with these, uh, with these like pets on court, which I thought was quite cute. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, as you said, completely open. I, for some reason, I'm looking at Stephanie Vogel, uh, from Switzerland. You've called it now, um, but we uh, we've also perhaps maybe more. I, I don't know if this is easier to predict, but the Chicago 500 event um, we have also happening this week. Svitolina is the top seed there. Um, I've been looking at all her Instagramming from the I think Ukrainian museum in Chicago. She's been visiting um, <laughs> before the tournament begins. Uh, but yeah, loads of top names here: Muguruza, Andrescu, uh, Belinda Bencic, Rybakina. So um, very strong field as per um, Kim Kleisters is actually got a wild card and is playing as we speak against Suwe Shea. Um she's, ser- she's gonna be serving for the second set to take it to a third. So that could be uh well if she gets through that, be interesting to see if she can progress any further. But it's quite a tasty first round match. But Kim, one player who's not progressing that we spoke about before the podcast, one of your favourites, Caroline Garcia in what I feel is classic Caroline Garcia fashion, losing to a qualifier six three six love. That's not a, that's that's not that's not a good start. That's not a good look for Caroline Garcia, is it? Her season has been pretty abysmal, I have to say. Um, but I didn't. I was not surprised in the slightest when I saw that result. Um, it's a real shame because she's got so much talent, and she's just sort of really down in the in the doldrums and and losing to people she you know on her day would would not lose to. So. I don't really know what's going on there. Listeners, do you have any ideas for Caroline Garcia? Perhaps we can, you know. <laughs> Please well, take him. Please uh, reassure and, and help her. With them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, I mean, we did have, I mean, Jastrzemska, Petkovic and, and Lee had a good victory against Donna Vekic today. So, um, yeah, some some quite quite good quite good wins. But yeah, of course, all the, the top seeds um, have got buys through to the second round. So 
we'll, we'll wait and see. I'm sort of hoping, Kim, for a Camilla Georgie, Alina Svitolina uh, third round, which is potentially on the card. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that hopefully that would happen. Um, kind of keeping my fingers crossed for it. I suppose you're also keeping your fingers crossed for Andy Murray against Kane Ishikori. Uh, two wild cards have got each other in the first round of San Diego uh, this week. A uh, bit of a rubbish draw for, for Andy. I mean, he keeps, obviously, as a wild card, he's going to be getting difficult first rounders. But, you know, Kane Ishikori, um, not easy. Um, winner of that would play Casper Rude as well. So it just goes from sort of hard to even harder really um but you know Andy Murray had a few decent wins this week so um hopefully he's he's up for that um you know we've got kind of Rublev headlining this one Shapovalov's there FAA uh Cam Norrie and Dan Evans are also there they could face each other in the second round um Dan Evans is actually playing Kwon Soon Woo um you know fresh off the back of his first title so um lots of interesting matchups to look forward to this week and Lloyd Harris Kim as well perennial dark horse any tournament he is in any 250 draw he's in i feel like he could win it um so he's playing a qualifier in the first round so he'll probably go lose it but um yeah it's pretty it's pretty pretty tasty draw i i think the bottom half is a little bit a little bit uh yeah more star-studded i mean there's her cash as well um so yeah it's going to be tough for Andy Murray, just to get through to Casper Ruud against Nishikuri, I think is going to be a good effort. So, um, yeah, we'll wait and see. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just frustrating how many hot, like difficult draws Murray's getting as a wild card in, in the first round and to come up against Nishikuri. Yes, great for tournament organizers, but for, for Nishikuri fans, for Murray fans, it's a bit deflating. Mm. And last but not least, we've got the Sofia 250 event uh, in Bulgaria. Yannick Sinner is the defending champion and he is the top seed trying to defend his title. Uh, Gail Monfils will be looking to stop that. He's the second seed. Um, but we've also got a uh, few Australians in there. Alex de Menor, John Millman, um, James Duckworth, Joel. I know you love your Australian players. Um, Alex Bublik is also uh, milling around in Sofia. So, um, I mean... Yeah, I, I remember Sinner winning this one last year, actually. Um, but it's, it's you know, I wouldn't say Sinner's been sort of in the greatest of form of late, but um, I'd see he has a, a, a strong chance of, of defending. Um, or I could see someone like perhaps Ivashka coming through yeah. and uh, yeah. winning. I, I, I definitely could see that. A good win as well today for Benoit Pair against uh, Davidov- Davidovich Fakina. So, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, that's already kind of going on. But yeah, I am... I'm I'm fully confident, Kim. Next week we're going to be talking about the John Millman James Duckworth final at the Sofia Open. I just I just know it's going to be an all Australian battle in Bulgaria. <laughs> and Joel is there for that. Where we go, <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll be back next week to round up all of the tournaments um, and all the other sort of news from the tour. So do join us then. Yes, listeners. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest tour catch up from the passing shot remember to make sure to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice to make sure you're up to date on all the tennis action for the rest of the season we are on apple Podcasts, spotify overcast Castbox, stitcher you can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app and if you want to show your support for the show then why not leave us a rating and comment on apple Podcasts? 
And you can follow us on social media. In the meantime, we are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, you can get in touch with us on all of those social channels. If you have a question for our mailbag, perhaps, or anything else you'd like to let us know. Um, and you can also do that on email as well, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next time at Passing Shot HQ to look back on all the action in Chicago, San Diego and Sofia as well. How will Andy Murray get on against Nishikori? Who knows? Will he get to face Casper Ruud? We will soon find out. But I hope you can join us for our next catch up and we will see you again soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.